direct from Manchester and Belfast, Northern Ireland, we give you episode 48 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Tonight, I am joined by King of the Kipax writer, City Matters committee member, and regular Bolt from the Blue panelist Colin Savage, aka Presswitch Blue, and also, looking like a young Prince Nassim Hamid and all his youthful pomp and glory, is none other than the man in black shades and one half of the manic match-going Man City fan TV boys, the one and only Ray! Okay, chaps, let's get properly motivated. Ready? Okay. Sons of the Kipax, I am bought from the blue. More! Bought from the blue? He's seven feet tall! Yes, I've heard. Kill scousers by the hundreds. And if he were here, he'd consume the rags with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse. I am bought from the blue, and I see a whole army of my fellow citizens here in defiance of media tyranny. You've come to pod us free men, and free men ye are. What will you do without podcasting? What do you pod? <laughs> okay, I think that should do it, guys. Ray, how are you doing? You've been burning the panels at both ends, eh? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. A bit tired. I didn't roll in till about quarter past half past three in the morning after filming uh, at the game. By the time I watched some highlights and read some comments and uh, reports, it was half past five. I got me three hours sleep. Colin, this had all the classic ingredients of an upset, a cup set, a banana skin, whatever metaphor you'd like to use. Tight little ground, bad pitch, the hostile atmosphere, the media clamouring for a Newport County goal, the desperation to see Man City humiliated. What did you think? Playing a team like Newport on their own ground in the FA Cup, always the potential for an upset. And I think maybe the sort of complacency we showed against Newcastle and Crystal Palace and Leicester in losing those games helped us a little bit in thinking we can't fall for that again. And, and certainly losing to Wigan must have played in our minds. So obviously we well we looked more up for it, didn't we? I say you're going away, you're going to a lower league club, they've got nothing to lose, everything to prove. The ground is not the standard you used to play it on, the stadium's a bit tighter, you've got a hostile crowd on your back. The memory of Wigan perhaps, but but maybe that worked in our favour. I was more worried about this game than I was about Chelsea last week. And, and the two games coming up because I fancy us to be okay when we're playing teams at the same level, but it's always difficult, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ray, let me just uh, give this lineup back to you. Aderson, Danilo, Stones, Otamendi, Zinchenko, Fernandinho, Foden, Silva, Mares, Jesus, Leroy, Sane. Any surprises about that lineup? Was that what you pretty much thought was going to face Newport? Yeah, I mean, I mean, when I did a preview last week of the lineup, I mean, that was the defence I I chose. I would have rested Walker and bring Danilo back. You can't leave him out for too long, otherwise he'll start worrying. Um, I would have probably rested Fernandinho. I was thinking to, to let Gundogan play and maybe KDB. But you can, on the other hand, you know, it's, it's not a great pitch. Probably not great for KDB's knees. I thought Aguero would be rested. It, it, Feels like we we, we play with Mares and uh, Jesus uh, in in the cups, and so it's pretty much apart from the odd one or two, uh, it's kind of a, a lineup you expected, um, but it was still a very strong lineup. Um, so we we could see that Pep was giving uh, Newport uh, the respect they deserved because you got to look at their uh, their cup run and last year as well they did it against uh, Spurs. I think they were, took them to a replay this season. They beat uh, Wrexham in a replay. They've beaten uh, Leicester at, um, at home and they've beaten Middlesbrough in a replay. And uh, chatting to some fans, they, they felt that 
some of those clubs didn't give Newport any respect at all. And that was um, that led to their downfall. So um, it was good to see a very strong uh, team out there and to give Newport the, the respect they deserved. Colin, is it fair to say that that lineup is basically Ederson, Leroy Sane, Fernandinho plus the B team? Stones? No. I mean, I, looking at that lineup, my immediate impression was Fernandinho won't be starting on Wednesday. Uh, neither will David Silva. Uh, and funny enough, talking about Foden on, on Twitter with someone earlier, and, and you know, obviously there's this thing among the punditry um, gang saying, when's he going to get his chance in the Premier League? And we heard it, of course, in the commentary yesterday. And, and I think he will get his chance as David Silva starts to wind down. And I think we're starting to see David Silva start to wind down. Um, so I've no, ooh, it's a bit of a controversial opinion, I know, but I, I don't think David Silva's first choice anymore, necessarily, if Bernardo and KDB are fit. Ray, I'm tempted to call this episode The Sorcerer and His Apprentice because we had uh, David Silva and Phil Foden uh, on there. Uh, Ray, would you agree that, with Colin that uh, David Silva may just be winding down slightly, I think was the phrase that uh, Colin used. I think at the start of the season with KDB injured, David Silva was uh, an integral uh, part of the first team. And in fact, uh, looking at some stats, I think he scored more goals for City with Pep in fewer games, fewer minutes than he has with Mancini and than he had with uh, Pellegrini. So, you know, it's like um, in the twilight of his career, is he's, he's a purple patch and he has been playing really, really well last season and uh, the first uh, half of this season. But since KDB's back, I think he's missed more games and Bernardo seems to be uh, the chosen one. Um, so, yeah, it looks like next season, Dabba will play fewer games um, Foden has to be integrated a little bit more. I mean, he's had a, a good run in the Cups. And another stat, I think he's in the top 10 minutes for kids in uh, the major uh, leagues in Europe. Uh, I think Jadon Sancho's got probably double the amount of minutes as Foden. But to be quite honest, I'm happy with the minutes Foden's got. He's got a lot of, uh, he's put a lot in the Cups. He's been relied upon in the League Cup and the FA Cup. And I think that's, that's good. He can, feel like he's a, a, dare I say, a senior player uh, when we play in the Cups. And obviously he's not had as much time in the league, but I think his time will come next season in the league. Mm, Colin, I, I saw a lot of requests on my Twitter timeline for, for tickets for this game. How hard would it have been for your average City fan to get a ticket for this game? Well, in theory, it should have been very hard, but in practice there seems to have been all sorts of stuff going on. He seems to have I, without wanting to get back onto away tickets, it seems to have kind of struck a wrong note with many people today. Touts were offering tickets. Um, I yes. mean, it's not a it's not a city specific problem. That it's not a new problem. But there seem to be a lot of tickets floating around. I mean, I, I, in just in one uh, two or three minute spell, I saw three touts uh, trying to sell tickets to city fans uh, at one of the um, turnstiles just outside the turnstile. So that was in a, in a short space of time. So they, they definitely had tickets. Unfortunately, I mean, I really struggled to get a ticket. I think they're going down the points. I can't remember exactly at what number of points it sold out, but it was pretty high. Um, a lot of fans on social media were very unhappy today because uh, yesterday a lot of tickets suddenly became available. Supporters clubs were offering them. A lot of people were offering tickets. And it just felt there were too many tickets available at the last minute. The, the um, suspicion is that these are tickets that have gone to, to maybe been offered to corporate 
daughters with commercial partners and, and, and they've decided that right at the last minute that they don't fancy a trip down to South Wales on a Saturday evening and the club have been left with them. So I know that there was a story going around that Secretary, one of the supporters club branches, was asked if he wanted additional tickets yeah. uh, at the last minute and he said no. And he still got an envelope with four they sent, in. They sent four tickets. Well, there was yeah. another story where on the day, was it six or eight tickets were being offered by one supporters club? I spoke to one guy and he said uh, they got tickets on Thursday and uh, they're, not, they're not with a supporters club or anything, but a group of them must have got some, I think they were up to, it was over 10 tickets, suddenly became available. I got a ticket on Thursday night uh, and, an, and another one on Friday morning. So I ended up with two, um, because when people go out of their way to give you a ticket, you don't say no. And so if you end up with two, then you try and move, move on. But it, I mean, it is, it is an issue. And at some point, the club have to be transparent as to how suddenly all these tickets became available. And a lot of them were coming to the supporters club. It, you might be right there, Colin. It might be corporates at the last minute decided that they're not, uh, you know, going to take up their full allocation. And the club, two days before the game, two or three days, might have been left with 50 or 60 tickets that they have to move on. And the quickest and, in their view, the easiest way to do that is through the supporters clubs. And so suddenly they've, they've been landed with all these tickets. But it's a shame because we only had 1600 tickets, just over 1600 tickets. And a lot of fans who just missed out on the points, you know, to find out all these tickets are available on the day when it was too late for them to travel, it was heartbreaking for some of them because probably um, more, many of them had never been to Newport and they follow City, obviously, home and away as, uh, as much as they can. And so to miss out for who knows whatever the reason is, it, it must be tough to take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, unfortunately, it's part of the modern day, um, you know, trend of football where we used to go down for, for a game like that, you'd go down to the ticket office, and you pick up a ticket there and then, you know, there might be a few hold, held back or someone might ring up the ticket office on a Friday and say, have you got any left? You know, there's so many tickets going to so many different people. Uh, and I suspect what you just said about clubs suddenly finding they've got, you know, 50, 60 tickets on their hands and desperately ringing round branches or, or saying to yeah, Kevin yeah. Parker, can you get in touch with the branches and see if anyone can take these tickets off our hands? And, you know, like they could have put it up on, I suppose they could have put it on the web, couldn't they, that they had? But the problem is if you put it up on the web, well, you could, actually, you could do that because the person would have to go in to the club and collect a ticket. Obviously, there's no time to post it out or they can do like I did. I collected mine at the ground. So there were ways to do it. The sad thing is the easiest and the quickest way and most efficient from the club's point of view is to give them to the supporters club and let them uh, sort it out rather than suddenly get 50 fans turning up um, a day before to, to pick up a ticket, it's a lot easier to pick, you know, 10 supporters club and give them four or five tickets each and say, please go and distribute yeah. them. Um, how you, you know, and let the supporters clubs sort it out and uh, save the, the club itself a, a bit of work. Uh -huh. Ray, I don't suppose you saw if those touts were selling those tickets at, um, ridiculously inflated uh, prices or no, not? No, I only, I, I don't, I never talked to touts. Just shake my head and move on. I saw one tout sell a ticket. I, I have no idea the price because they obviously, they, you know, they're trying to do it secretly and the police are there. Police don't see anything. It's, it's just normal. For all, you know, they could just stand next to the police and do it and the police won't do anything. So. Which um, is a shame because it's a criminal offence, of course, to sell football yeah. tickets. Uh, and interestingly, Chelsea have a similar committee to, to City Matters. Uh, and one of their big bugbears with Chelsea at Stamford Bridge 
is the number of touts that they ticket. And, and to me, the easiest solution is to get the police to act, but apparently the police won't do anything, so... It depends which country you're in. I got busted in Portugal uh, in Euro 2006, and uh, I was supposed to go with a mate of mine, and at last minute he couldn't go, so I had all his tickets. And I think it was uh, Sweden versus Italy or some, something like that. It was a decent game. And I was in uh, the tourist information center, and there was a Japanese uh, young lad, and he was uh, after tickets. And I said, I've got a spare ticket. I showed him the ticket. It's got my name on it. And I said, look, it's, it's all legit. And he saw the, the price. The price was 100 euros, I think. And he said, I can't afford that. I said, no, you can have it for free. You know, and um, he couldn't believe that. Some, a Swedish fan had a look at the ticket and said, yeah, it's, it's, it looks like a legitimate ticket. You know, and he said to the young guy, you know, I, you know, thank you, lucky stars. You know, whenever are you offered a free ticket? So he thanked me and what walked away. He came back a few minutes later. And as a, it's a bit of a stereotype here, but uh, as the Japanese nation are very polite, he said, I can't go without giving you some money. Please take this 10 euros. I can't afford more. I was reluctant. He thrust the 10 euros in my hand and uh, someone in the tourist information office told the police that I was selling tickets. And I spent an, uh, an hour next door in uh, the police station, eyeball to eyeball with uh, one of the policemen. But there was about six, it ended up with six police in me. And at that point, I thought I'd better back down. They were just not going to listen to the truth. And they had no witness. You know, they had, they could have got the witness, uh, the Japanese guy who'd got the ticket. Uh, but no, you know, it was, it was a mess. So, Police in some countries, if they want to, they can act. Uh, I think it didn't help that I was English. And, you know, they made uh, some uh, derogatory remarks about the English. Uh, but there you go. At the end of the day, the police have got so much pressure uh, in other areas. And they're more concerned about the behavior of the fans because, uh, you know, it's sad to say, you know, you have some fans who are overly well oiled uh, at games. And uh, some of them with flares, some... Uh, some behaviour that spills over into uh, a bit, sometimes a little bit unsavoury, and that's to me that's what the police are there for. That's what they're concerned about. They're there for crowd behaviour, any uh, public order offences, uh, serious, serious enough for them to to pull you in. And uh, they're not there uh, to stop tickets out selling tickets. Ray, there were a couple of famous uh, personages. Uh, milling around uh, at the ground before the game. Blue Moon Rising's Walter Smith got a ticket. Did you see Walter? No, I didn't see Walter. I didn't see him at all. I mean, the only, I think before the game, the only famous people I saw, I saw um, Jake Humphreys, but, um, you know, he, he needs nothing to me. I'm not interested in his picture. I saw um, Cheeky. Uh, I had a nice uh, selfie with him. I saw uh, Omar. Uh, is he the chief operating officer? Colin? He is, yes. Yeah, um, so sorry. Him. Very, uh, very nice and polite. And, um, those, I think those were the only celebrities. Oh, no, no, Ray, you're forgetting one. Ian Cheeseman was there. <laughs> I had my picture taken with Cheesy as well. Yeah. You it, did. It, it was quite <laughs> funny because I had two tickets. I, I try, I, I picked the highest spot I could just to get a better view because low down, you're right at ground level. So I had one at ground level. I didn't want to sit there. And I went, I picked the other one. I had to climb over the chairs to get there, over the seating. And I was actually next to Ian Cheeseman. Now, listen, Ray, I've got to ask you this question. Right. Earlier on, we talked about David Silva and Phil Foden, you know, the sorcerer and the apprentice. 
Are you seeing where I'm going to go with this? You guys are like, you know, the, the main sort of Manchester City yeah. vloggers. Man City Fan TV is not just you, it's um, Andy Turner, you and Andy. Did you feel like The Apprentice when you were stood beside uh, Ian Cheeseman? We, we kind of do different things. I mean, Cheesy does one log, uh, sorry, one long uh, vlog, about 12 to 15 minutes. So, he, you know, his, his vlogs are captures his uh, journey through the day. Ian has some access to uh, some players. He can recognise uh, a lot of, a lot more players than I can, especially the older ones. And so he has access to those people. And what we tend to do, we don't vlog as, as such. We are generally there for interviews. We're there to interview uh, home fans, away fans, to get their thoughts before the game and to get their thoughts after the game. We tend to do longer interviews with fans. So some interviews, usually between two and five minutes, uh, we'll spend with the fans. Whereas I think Ian is more uh, snapshots. So you might get, you know, five or ten seconds, maybe a little bit longer with a fan and then move on. Whereas we uh, will try and uh, cover a, a more in depth with fans. Uh, both home and away. Okay, so The Apprentice then. <laughs> just, <laughs> no, no, no. Just, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Couldn't resist it, couldn't resist it. <laughs> no, no, someone else, someone else is The Apprentice, you know. I'm, I'm too near Ian's age to be anything else. It's uh, there, There's somebody else who's uh, Ian's illegitimate uh, love child. And, oh, uh, okay. I think I know where you're going. <laughs> Talk to me about the first half, Colin. I think we were relatively quiet in that first half. I don't think everything we did a lot of things we did didn't really come off but of course the surface was difficult we seemed to be playing a lot more long balls than we would normally do one or two of the players were a little bit quiet maybe they're you know, feeding the way in to the game I, I think apart from that chance that Newport had about 15 minutes in from the from the long throw I think we I mean we worked hard enough it was just a difficult scenario and it took us a long I think it took us a long time to get used to it but once we got to about the 30, 35 minute mark, they looked a bit spent, expected superior fitness in the end. I'm not sure I would have expected it quite that early. We didn't do anything particularly stupid that first half. And we were trying the normal things that we try. And we were also having long range shots as well. I mean, Danilo had a shot and I think Fernandinho had a couple which went well wide. And Mares had one, Sale hit the bar. And so it was more, one or two frustrating occasions where we didn't, we tried to be, we were a bit city-ish and didn't shoot on sight. But I think they, I think they got the message that you know, we couldn't play these quick, short, accurate balls. And, and you know, we're going to have to go a bit longer and we're going to have to take shots. So, um, yeah, the first half was fine for feeling our way in. But there had been a lot of talk pre-game about the pitch. So here's the question. Was the pitch quite the leveller that Michael Flynn and his boys thought that it would be? I don't think it was as much as it could have been. Uh, when, when we were looking at the pitch, in the middle of the pitch, it did look a little bit bobbly and rutted. Uh, around the outsides, it looked uh, in much better condition because obviously around the outside, the ball, you know, players don't go there as much. I think it helped that uh, during the week, the weather's been fine. It's not been uh, raining. And it also helped that the rugby uh, club who play there as well were playing away uh, during the week. So um, the pitch has had time to recover and you could see that some bobbles you know you could see the ball hitting players shins instead of uh, their foot and so it did have an impact and I think early on I, I did notice we were overhitting some passes you know the players had to feel their way into that game because you know I guess for a lot of them it's a long time since they played um, on a pitch like that I mean our 
you know, pitches at um, in Premier League grounds and around Europe are very well manicured these days. Um, so it's very rare that they'd have to test their skill on such a pitch. So it it brought us down a little bit, and the size of the pitch affected it as as well. So it brought us down towards their level, but it didn't level it out. Very interesting. Just to digress for a minute, guys. I'm actually over here in uh, Carrick, Fergus, in Northern Ireland, and um, it's been 20 years since me and my dad went to a game. We we were followers of the local team Larn FC they're a port team that's the place that I was born and it's it's quite funny because Larn have, have got the reputation of being the Manchester City of the Irish League because they've been bought out by a billionaire called Kenny Bruce a guy that owns a company an online estate agency called Purple Bricks and the first thing that he did was uh, the pitch uh, was dug up and they relayed a, a 4G pitch which is a mixture of various types of synthetic grass and uh, absolutely beautiful so they're actually, they're doing everything like Guardiola. It was, it was absolutely amazing for me to, walk, to go down there with my dad and watch this Irish league team trying to play the ball out from the back and try to play it to feet and build up the attack from the back. It was obviously got their influence from somewhere. But uh, that was so uh, so funny that, you know, little little Irish league teams are putting down 4G pitches like this. And you would imagine that uh, even a team like Newport County would have uh, more money than, than we do. But their, their, their pitch it did look a little bit rough, but quite probably not quite as bad. I think probably, Colin, they were hoping for it to rain, weren't they? Because then it would have it would have dug up like one of the old World War One battlegrounds. I think they would have been delighted if it rained. Yeah, it would have, certainly would have levelled it a bit more. But I know a few other people said the pitch didn't look quite as bad live as it did on the TV. Yeah, and let's say with, with a rugby team playing there, you tend to get the roughed up bits in the centre of the field and kind of rather than the goal mouths and, uh, on the wings. So it had an impact, I think, but I don't think it was, It could have been a lot worse, as Ray said. OK, guys, what were the most significant moments of the first half, Ray? Three or four. There was the Mares shot after about seven minutes where he turned his defender inside out. And he did, he did that quite regularly uh, during the game um, where he'd you know, come back onto his left foot uh, or uh, feign to go one way and go the other. And, uh, that's yeah, what he does. But, yeah. And after, but sometimes he held on to it a little bit too long. He had a, quite a few shots during, especially in the first half, long range shots. But after seven minutes, he turned his defender inside out, as I said, and uh, he shot with his right foot from a tight angle and the keeper managed to deflect it wide with his leg. And, uh, but it was, he did that pretty much all evening long, as I said, to the defender. And then there was obviously the Collins mentioned the long throw. Uh, after 13 minutes from uh, Newport. I mean, obviously, that was definitely going to be one of their major weapons, long throws, free kicks, dead ball situations, uh, corners, etc. And, uh, yeah, the, that long throw was uh, flicked on by the top, I think the tallest man on the pitch, it looked like. I don't know the name of the chap who found himself free in our six-yard box, but he got his head on it, and I don't think he hit it as hard as he, um, you know, got as much power into the ball as... He would have liked. And Ed- Edison made a pretty decent save pushing the ball. Pretty behind. decent? Well, uh, is that not uh, the understatement of the year? I've, I've been... Oh, no. Mate, look, he's not David De Gea. I mean, if it was David <laughs> De Gea, that would have been world class. If that had been Alisson, it would have been world class. You know, when Man City, we've got to know our place, mate. It was a pretty decent save. Oh, I was writing poems and composing songs <laughs> about that one. For me, there was two of the moments in the first half. There was a, when Sana hit the bar, where... He uh, did a one-two with uh, David Silva. Very nice uh, move. 
and uh, in, inside the box, uh, out wide left, uh, actually not far from us. And he hit the bar. I think he should have got it uh, on target. And then I think there was a penalty shout as well, where there was a shot or a cross. And uh, I think there was three defenders came out. And one of them went to ground to try and block it, but left his arm dangling in, in the air. And the ball hit his arm. And uh, for me, that was a uh, penalty. And I think for all the City fans, uh, with or without their blue tinted specs, uh, we were screaming for a penalty. I had a look at a Newport County fan forum. Uh, and they were very complimentary about us, uh, you know, talking about the speed we move the ball and, you know, the amount of time we seem to have on the ball. And that takes it, you know, Newport can't have been used to playing that sort of team. You know, not to do down League Two, but it's going to be long ball type stuff. But, you know, chasing a team like City where the ball's being moved all over the field and you've got to run, you've got to cover. And I think they're all on kind of high alert. Their adrenaline's going. And I think that must it must have taken it out of them far more than a, a normal League Two game might have. Well, I must have been reading the wrong um, Newport County supporters than, than you were, Colin, because I think one of the lines I saw was that um, if it wasn't for the oil, we'd be playing in the same league as them. <laughs> um, I think that's more probably a Liverpool fan, yeah. Yeah, probably posing as a Newport County fan, no doubt. But um, Well, I think most people in South Wales, this part, the local team and either Man United or Liverpool so there's plenty of them about well guys we went in at zip zip at uh, half time no goals for us to talk about or shout about but there was an explosion of them in the second half well explosion of them at the end of the second half but in the 51st minute Leroy Sane broke our duck can you tell us about that one Colin well obviously Leroy was just in the in, in our half, around the half, um, he flicked the ball over the Newport defender's head, found Gabriel Jesus, who was hugging the left touchline. Jesus managed to get a, a kind of a ball away to Leroy, uh, and the interchange passes. Leroy does what we do so well, and he found the, the so-called half space between the full-back and the centre-half on that left-hand side of the field. And you could see him point to, to Gabriel Jesus, who had the ball out on the left, to play into that area. And, and I say, that's one of our typical signature moves, isn't it? And... Um, uh, so, so Leroy played the ball in, and I think I was expecting him to kind of centre it. But of course, Gabriel was out on the touchline, so he wasn't going to get there. Uh, and I was a bit surprised when Leroy took a snapshot. Took the goalkeeper by surprise a little bit, because it went through his, his hands and smacked him full in the face. You, you could see the ball spinning, you know, a bit like, um, you know, a satellite in space, really. And Phil Foden had followed it up, and I think he was a bit worried about being called offside, though he was well onside. But the ball was spinning the right way and it went over the line. So it was a bit of a, maybe a bit of a scrappy goal and maybe the keeper should have done a bit better. But it was a bit like that one Aguero scored uh, against Liverpool. But, you know, he just hit it so hard, the goalkeeper simply can't react. Uh, With the greatest respect to Newport's goalie, we're not talking about a world-class or, you know, an international-class keeper there. Welcome to a regular part of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. It's called Test Colin Savage. Colin, for the benefit of our younger listeners, who of Man City's players down the years had a reputation for pointing a lot? <laughs> uh, well, it was Steve McManaman, of course, wasn't it? You know, the, the traffic yeah. policeman, yeah. <laughs> well, his first good game for us, which I think, if I remember right, was against Aston Villa. He looked superb. Obviously, he was coming to the end of his career by that time. And that first game, he looked a real player, but that was it. That was the, his debut was the, the high spot of his City career. You know, and the joke was he spent most of the game gesturing to other players where to play it. Now, obviously, very experienced player, but you know, it helps if you use your feet rather than you, 
your hands every now and again and he never reached the heights he reached against Villa in that debut game. He points a lot. <laughs> Any other good chances between Sane's first goal and the goal by Phil Foden, his first? From what I remember, there's a very good shot from uh, Danilo, which uh, was pushed wide by uh, the goalkeeper, Day. And I think uh, Danilo hit the post as well. So it was a bit frustrating because we wanted that second goal. We needed that second goal. You know, at 1-0, all you need is a bad bobble. You know, we saw that with Edison with one of his passes, that the ball bobbled just before he hit it, and it hit him on the shin. And uh, he, he got lucky that he was a, he was the quickest to react and, and to, to, to clear the danger. Uh, so that's always in the back of your mind, uh, that one opportunity could uh, spell disaster. Um, so it was, as I said, frustrating. Uh, we, I don't think we played badly. Um, but we didn't really create that many clear-cut chances. I'm not, you know, the uh, you said before the pitch didn't help, but you could see that, uh, you know, as the second half drew, uh, drew on, that uh, Newport, the players, some of them were getting tired. Um, I mean, the, the guys up front they worked tirelessly, they worked really hard, but you could see more gaps appearing. We had more space and more time, and it felt like it was only a matter of time before we scored again. It was at this point that Phil Foden decided that he's had enough, stopped faffing around, grabbed the ball, looked like he knew exactly what he was going to do with it. Is that a fair summary, Colin? Yeah, yeah, I think you've summed that up very well. It's almost like I'm not, I'm not taking any nonsense from this lot anymore. They, they were visibly tiring by that point. And, and it started, of course, just inside our half. Uh, Gabriel Jesus was on the ball playing quite deep. He got, I think he got fouled, although whether Mariner saw it or not, I don't know. But the ball fell kindly to Phil Foden, who was standing you know, about a yard away from him. The lad who was marketing just couldn't keep up with him. And um, he just took it on, took a shot. And again, I think it was a bubbling kind of low shot. And I think it probably just bounced at the right point. I think the keeper, a better keeper, would probably done better with that. But it, it, was a, it was probably a more difficult one to say because it was... It just kind of bounced in front of him, which is always a difficult one to, to try and get hold of. But it did look like he just decided, right, playtime's over. Let's uh, let's put this one to bed. Because, as Ray said, it was a bit nerve-wracking. Uh, I think we had the game well under control overall. But um, it, they'd run out of, they more or less run out of gas. And we we yeah. had them pinned back. But as you say, it only takes that, that one mistake, as we saw uh, a few minutes later, to, to get them back in the game. Several minutes later, Newport County struck back. Was it macadamia or peanut or walnut? No, it was almond, wasn't it? Almond. Can you describe that for me, Ray? So there was a long ball, just, you know, as um, uh, Newport had done a few times, a long ball hit over the top, bypassed uh, the midfield. And at that stage, uh, Emeric Laporte was on. And he really did a poor header. He, you know, he should have, I think we had two or three men around Armand. Uh, Laporte's header kind of slapped his head and fell down and went sideways instead of um, up the pitch and it hit I think it hit Armand in the chest and Nico Altamendi was there and um, I didn't find out actually till this morning when I was watching the highlights um, that uh, Armand had scored I thought and a lot of the people in the stand because we were on that side we thought it was not a a comical long goal from Nico um, but uh, actually, it was Armand just got his foot, uh, foot in first. And it was disappointing. Uh, I don't think you can attach any blame to Edison or uh, Otamendi. It was, it was uh, sadly a mistake um, by Laporte. But there's something I, I will mention here because I, I listened to some highlights a few minutes ago from BT. And, you know, there, was a, there were a lot of City fans on social media berating John Hartson, who was uh, 
providing some uh, expert analysis, apparently. And Emerson, Lake and Palmer, yeah, that's that's the old joke. It was quite funny. John, John Artson said, I mean, first of all, he said it was John Stones who headed it when it was Zemeric Laporte. Okay, you can make a mistake. And then he seemed to confuse uh, Nicholas Otamendi for Forden, despite being twice as Take wide as Forden. Yeah. As I said, despite being twice as wide as Forden and having a beard, the two players do look remarkably similar. It kind of summed up uh, Hartson, you know. He was uh, a very poor uh, commentator. And it kind of summed up BT as well, because, I mean, it, it seems that um, all game long they were hoping for by the signs of it. Um, it was quite horrible commentary from Hartson. And the BT team, you could, they could hardly hide their desire to take cheap gigs at City. You know, yes, it's an underdog. It's a, you, you want some... Uh, excitement and a, and a possibility of a cup upset. But, uh, you know, it just feels sometimes that they go a little bit too far uh, with their cheap digs at City. I've got to say, I've got to stand up for them here because until that game, I didn't realise our squad cost so much more than Newport's. So so that, so that was a fact <laughs> that I wasn't aware of before last night. I've actually met John Hartson. We did something together for Radio 5 Live. And he was a smashing fellow, you know, happy to chat and, and, and very entertaining. It wasn't his finest hour last night. And then, did you ask him about Isle Berkovich? No, 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 we never quite got round to that. Tell you guys, if you, I watched some highlights on YouTube before we did this. Oh, it looks like someone must have been um, frustrated and annoyed with Hartson because towards halfway through the highlights, um, whenever Hartson spoke, they seemed to speed up the sound uh, when he was commentating. And it actually... It made him sound both more ridiculous and more credible as well at the same time. <laughs> Did you fear a massive Newport County comeback at this point, Ray? Cityitis will always be there in some of us older fans. Um, so I was worried that it would be nervy, nervy last few minutes. Uh, but uh, Foden had other, other ideas and not on your life. You know, Within a minute or so, he'd scored again. And once again, he'd uh, picked the ball up in midfield from a, a nice little bit of skill from Leroy Sane. Uh, to beat his man, and uh, he took it off uh, Leroy uh, just outside the, the centre circle. And uh, again, and he'd done this quite a few times in the second half, especially. He just run straight forward uh, at the heart of the Newport defence. He took a man on, got into the box, and uh, he blasted it home, uh, left footed from just inside the box. And uh, yeah, it was another uh, another good goal. And I think it showed the confidence um, he's got. In, I think he's got the confidence in his own ability. But as as I said, as the game develops, he got more confident and he was happy to take people on. And I think if he had, he's definitely got a lot of stamina. I think if he had just a little bit more pace, uh, he, would, he he's going to be very, very good anyway. He could be incredibly good if he can just pick up a little pace to go with his stamina and all the skill he has because... Uh, he's a fantastic player. Someone who was getting only slightly less abuse than John Hartson popped up and scored our next goal in the blink of an eye. Riyad Mahrez, ladies and gentlemen. Riyad Mahrez. Tell me about this one, Colin. Tell me about what happened there. How did Riyad Mahrez get on the score sheet? He always puts it, bends it round the, the post and, and, and wide of that um, large upright, doesn't he? But this time, he didn't. No, he didn't. And, and um, I think we have to give credit to John Stones. And he played um, a David Silva-esque ball to, to um, Riyad Mahrez, who was in that channel. And um, he just blasted one from pretty well the same spot that Sane scored, I think. But that was kind of 
inside the far post. And I think, I, I thought Mares had a, there were some very good things he did. And, and, and certainly what, what caught my eye with Mares was, you know, the typical thing with Mares is it's like you don't have to be Nostradamus to work out what he's going to do. He gets the ball, cuts inside, gets it on his left foot. But he was actually going both ways. He was actually giving the defenders something to think about. Which, Guys, uh, just in case you're um, a bit confused, Nostradamus was someone that was signed for us by Frank Clark back in the day. <laughs> but um, he, he only lasted one season. Sorry, Colin. Yeah. Please go on. So, um, you know, he was doing some different stuff yesterday. He was giving the defenders, and all right, not the standards of defenders he's usually coming across, but he was giving the defenders something to think about. And he was going, instead of cutting inside, he was going outside, coming to the byline. Um, I think the one the one thing in his game that he's still got to work on is he's still in that Leicester frame of mind a little bit where you take the ball on, you go and go and shoot and hopefully score. We don't tend to play like that, do we? I mean, well, as, you know, I've seen Gabriel Jesus do it a few times. I've seen Sane do it a few times. But but it's about the, the movement and the quick passing, whereas he tends to hang on to the ball and tries to get a shot away. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, because it's a, I've said this before, it's another weapon in our armoury, rather than you know trying to play three or four passes and get a tap in. So, so to have that, you know, ability to shoot from around the edge of the box or outside the box is, to me, just something else to give the opposition to think about. Manchester City's auxiliary winger and handy scapegoat, isn't he, Colin? If it's not Mares, it's Gundogan. If it's not Gundogan, it's Mendy. If it's not Mendy, it's Kyle Walker. If it's, you know... It's Richard Edgehill. <laughs> yeah, the well, thing is, the, fan, the fans always want to find someone to blame if things aren't going uh, City's way. And... Some fans said Mares played fantastically. He was our only threat in the first half. Some fans felt he wasted uh, good opportunities, uh, good positions he was in. Um, and you're always going to get these sort of polar opposites about Riyad Mares. There's some fans who don't want him there. I saw some ridiculous, I think Liverpool fans or um, Arsenal fans or whatever they were on Twitter uh, saying that City shouldn't have got Mares, he should have kept Jadon Sancho. I mean, he's quite ignorant and ridiculous. Um, people who have no idea what what goes on uh, just make these comments, and others just latch onto it. So you know, it's it's just a shame. But yeah, I thought uh, of that front three probably Sane had the best game, uh, but I don't think any any of the front three had outstanding games. No. Uh, but I think no. Mahrez was, was decent enough and, and um, you know, stuff didn't come off for him, but then it didn't come off for David Silva, Gabriel Jesus. Had the sort of game we, we perhaps criticise Aguero for, where he's not involved enough and, um, you know, you don't you expect him to do a little bit better against that standard of opposition. But The thing but, is, with, with, with Gabby J, he, I think what I noticed, he, he worked tremendously hard. Yeah. He was always willing... Um, he set up the goal for, for Leroy. Um, he was always about, he was dropping very deep. You know, he was dropping to the halfway line, um, to collect the ball, uh, and to lay off and, and, uh, from, you know, shield the ball from, from defenders. So, I mean, I don't think he created ever so much and he obviously didn't score, but he worked tremendously hard. And I think that's, at least that's the minimum you, you, you ask of your players. I think, um, uh, you know, we've talked about the commentary. I think we've missed Dean Saunders. <laughs> well, Dean Saunders seems to be the man who's everywhere at the moment. So he's on TalkSport, which um, might tell you quite a lot about Dean Saunders. Um, but, but you know, whatever John Harton missed, he made up for. You know, he <laughs> filled in the gaps. Um, and, and, and 
there was a comment he made about Newport had City on the rack. Well, I don't think at any point they had us on the rack. You know, certainly the game was one or two problems early on in the game, in the first quarter, but never at any point would you say they had us on the rack. And then there was that ridiculous comment at the end about he'd worked out the weekly wages of our subs. Um, and it was just, um, it, you know, it, it's banality of, of such a high standard that, that you've got to practice it, surely, because, well, you know, it's, it's like, it's like if you remember Les Dawson, he used to do his piano piece where he played Google Les Dawson kids everyone used to say you actually have to be quite a good piano player to do that so fantastic for me yeah so anyway and Dean Saunders kind of reminds me of of, of Les Dawson playing the piano off key see there's one other thing I want to sorry I want to mention it was uh, nice to see there's a photo of uh, I think we're still Sani stayed behind uh, uh, on the pitch in the corner to sign autographs take pictures with the Newport fans and despite some of the fans uh, booing Raheem. It is a bit ridiculous, and it is this herd, men- not herd mentality, but this stupidity just copying uh, what other fans do for absolutely no reason. And, the, you know, if you ask them why you're booing Raheem, they won't have a, a, a good explanation. And it's just it, because of the media. You know, if you've got the biggest newspaper in, uh, I think, in this country in terms of sales, one of you will correct me if I'm wrong, in the, in the Sun, uh, who regularly... Uh, criticise and besmirch uh, young Raheem and then you've got the Daily Mail who do similar things and the Star you know that's a big chunk of our um, uh, print uh, media um, who are doing this and you know fans will too many of them are un- unable to um, form their own opinions and look at fact to, to educate themselves so you ask them why you make you know why are you booing Raheem Sterling and I bet you half of them have got no idea why they do it they're just copying other people and it's it's a shame. I mean, that was the only uh, negative I can you know spin on the on the day. It was a it was a cracking day. You know, generally, the Newport fans were fantastic. The stewards were great. Even the police were all right. Um, you know, we had a great time interviewing the, uh, lot, a lot of uh, Newport fans. Uh, they were in good voice, singing away. City fans were quite gratified, I think. There, there was a video footage of Flynn meeting uh, Guardiola for the for the first time. They shook hands and he said, you're an absolute <laughs> a genius. Yes, that's the word, a genius. Um, that's a nice way to get the game started. Genius. But um, Flynn was very complimentary about, about City and about Pep Guardiola after the game. And it was just, just a touch of class from him as well. So they're classy guys down there at uh, Newport County. I hope we've summarised that one as well as we could for you guys, but we've got to shoot on and just mention, of course, what's going to be our next game, and that's going to be the away tie in the Champions League against Schalke. Ran through their their squad, actually, before coming on the pod. Not a team that you would say is uh, star-studded exactly, but Ian Cheeseman's second favourite team, but I'm sure there's a story behind that. But what do you think? They're, I think, aren't they about 14th in the Bundesliga and slightly strugg- struggling, Colin? They are, yes. Um, they're not doing very well at all. We'll play them into form. <laughs> we could take a draw in this game away at Schalke, don't you think? Yes, we could, but I'd rather we win. We go out there to win the game, uh, of course, because it's one of those, what you don't want is... To for argument's sake, to come back with a nil-nil draw. You know, Schalke just need a goal hit in Manchester, and we need to score two. So, if we do end it with a draw, I want it to be a scoring draw. Uh, I will throw in a bit of trivia, um, because I do know this, about Ian Cheeseman. And uh, the reason for his affection for Schalke is because his mum was from 
Gelsenkirchen. Gelsenkirchen, that's it. And I've actually been there many years ago, so that's that's the reason. I just thought I'd throw that in because I, I, I watched one of his uh, vlogs. That might be just about it for this particular episode of the Bolt from the Blue podcast, so I think we'll probably wrap it up here and express gratitude to our guests. Uh, you have been listening to Man City Fan TV Ray and Prestwich Blue Colin Savage. Hope you enjoyed this little podlet. And we'll be with you again after the game against Schalke. So until then, as we always say, have one on us. Have a German one on us this time. And up the blues.